The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. On this Halloween, here in Illinois, we have a white Halloween with snow. A lot of years we don't get a white Christmas, but we're getting a white Halloween this year. It's just been one of those uh, weather years, hasn't it? Uh, so wherever you are, I hope you have a good day and a safe one. We know what the, the harvest challenges continue so we wish you the best there we have lots to talk about we're bring you up to date on several things today usda undersecretary bill northy will join us want to talk about the upcoming sign up for the conservation reserve program some are saying it could be a huge uh, uh sign up could be a lot of interest because of the ag economy but there were some rules in the last farm bill including a new cap on payment rates that many thought would discourage landowners from uh, taking some valuable crop land out of production and putting it into the CRP. But will that be the case or not? What could enrollment be? We'll get some uh, thoughts and uh, some details on the sign-up and on the CRP program coming up from USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Also joining us today, the President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. He testified on the Congress in the congressional hearing on Tuesday and then the public hearing yesterday on the RFS. So we'll get the, his thoughts on how those hearings went, what his message was representing the biofuels industry, and where he thinks we may go from here. Also, we have uh, a new proposal, new legislation that would uh, bring about some new guest worker uh, rules. A lot of people pushing for this. It's very important to agriculture in general, to the dairy industry in particular. We'll talk with Paul Bleiberg, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, about this uh, new proposal for the guest worker program, uh, what he thinks are its strengths, what are some areas that maybe still could use some work, and uh, would we be better off with the new this new version than where we're at right now. We'll get into all that a little bit later with Paul Bleiberg. But we're going to start things off with our friend at uh, DTN, Todd Neely. Todd, thank you for joining us. I know you've been watching those uh, RFS hearings this week closely. Uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, hi, Mike. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think, uh, especially with the public hearing in Michigan yesterday, uh, you know, over the years we followed a lot of these hearings on the RFS. Um, EPA shows up in a town. Uh, most recently, it has been Ypsilanti, Michigan, like yesterday, um, and they take a bevy of public hearings or public comments, and it goes on for a couple hours, three hours. Uh, we hear both sides. Um, one of the things we've noticed over the years is these hearings uh, hardly ever result in any substantive changes to, to the EPA proposals that are put out. Um, maybe this one, uh, this time around, the supplemental proposal on the small refinery exemptions, maybe this will be the exception. But uh, you look at this issue, and it's a highly emotional issue for farmers. 
uh, a lot of concerns about markets, losing markets. Um, and I, I think that you'd like to see EPA listen on this particular one because of, because of uh, what's at stake here. Uh, I guess that's something we'll have to wait and see what comes out, you know, at the end of November when the, when the uh, RVOs for 2020 are finalized. But uh, you just see these you see these hearings ongoing, and uh, not a lot of changes usually come from those. And I think that's uh, still kind of a concern. But I think that you know agriculture got its message across yesterday. I, I do think that uh, it was it was one of the stronger public hearings I think I've listened to on the RFS and. Uh, uh, we'll see what EPA does with it. But I, I do know that the message was delivered. Yeah, I think it was a chance, and I think the ag community and the biofuels industry in particular uh, took advantage of that opportunity to show how concerned they are about this, how strongly they feel right. about it, and I think that's good. But I agree with you. Uh, I looked at these hearings in the past. I've been pretty skeptical. It's almost like uh, EPA has yeah. gone through the motions and been able to say afterwards, well, we had a public hearing. We you gave you a chance to say your piece, but we're going to go on and do what we're going to do anyway. And, and, and I hope that's not the case yeah. here, but uh, that's always the feeling I've had. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, thing, the question that hasn't been answered yet is uh, where did this go from the day that Donald Trump announced uh, you know, the, the information was starting to come out about a deal that, that was going to be entirely different from this EPA proposal. Uh, you know, how did it change from that point to this point? I mean, even on October 3rd, there was a briefing call with ag groups, uh, with the administration, and uh, they were talking about the proposal and, and what it was going to include. Uh, at that time, uh, we don't think they had the details available, uh, but it just makes you wonder where, uh, where it went wrong, so to speak, uh, from the time that we were hearing about a three-year rolling average to account for waivers uh, to the time now where we're having ag groups completely against what the EPA has proposed. Um, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's the burning question. I don't know that we'll ever know the answer, but um, I do suspect that EPA is going to continue on the track that they're on despite the outcry and despite you know all the concerns that ag is, has raised since that uh, since the initial agreement was announced. Um, I, I don't see EPA changing course on that. There are points to debate, and both sides can make some strong points on on these issues, like how much harm has actually been done by the uh, by the exemptions, yeah. and what's caused the uh, downturn in the biofuels uh, economy and industry. Those are debatable points, but I think what's not debatable is what we have now is not what the biofuels industry was led to believe would happen by the administration, by the president himself, his comments of support for the biofuels industry. This does not seem to match what was promised. Uh, Jeff Cooper, who will be on with us a little bit later on, said it, it, he called it bait and switch. This is not what uh, they thought they were yeah. going to get. No, absolutely. And, you know, it, it raises a lot of questions, obviously. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you wonder at this point whether the president himself really knows what's in this final propo this, uh, proposed rule. Um, and I, I don't think that whatever was what, whatever was agreed to, I don't think it was actually conveyed to the EPA. Uh, and if it was, somewhere along the way in the agency, they made a switch on this. They changed what was, you know, an agreement, at least what was said to be an agreement. You know, we don't know what was, what, what was actually said. I mean, few of us were there. But I, I do think, though, that um, it does make you wonder if President Trump himself 
really knows about this final agreement and and whether um, you know whether people are conveying you know within his administration conveying the outcry that's coming from AG and you don't suspect that that's happening at this point. All right, so we will see where we go from here. Todd, thank you for your thoughts. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. And again, we'll have more from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, later in the program as he testified both at the congressional hearing on Tuesday and the public hearing yesterday. Coming up next, USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey joins us to talk about the upcoming general sign-up for the CRP, Conservation Reserve Program. Will it be a record enrollment, or will the new rules, the new cap on payment rates, discourage some from uh, entering into the program this time around? We'll talk about that next with Undersecretary Bill Northey. Stay with us on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The general sign-up for the CRP, Conservation Reserve Program, set to begin in December. Some are expecting big numbers, and at least uh, maybe the biggest numbers in the last decade, due in part to the uh, slow farm economy, although there were some rules put in in the last farm bill capping the payment rate. Will that discourage some landowners from getting into the program and submitting bids? We will talk about that now with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, thank you for joining us. Uh, First of all, let's talk about the the sign-up coming up in December. What do uh, landowners need to know about this upcoming sign-up? Well, we are looking for uh, a sign-up in December, and I think everybody's aware the last sign-up uh, was a fairly small sign-up. There wasn't a lot of acres available. Uh, the acres over the previous farm bill uh, went down over the uh, the length of the farm bill, and so uh, even the acres that were expiring could not all be renewed, let alone new acres get into that process. Uh, in this farm bill, uh, we start off with 24 million acres as a cap, and we go to 27 million acres by the end of the farm bill. So what we'll be signing up for in December uh, is uh, is acres that will go into the program in October of 2020. So it seems like a long ways away, but obviously it's uh, just after this next crop. Uh, so... By that time, um, the cap will be 25 million acres. We're at 22.3 right now. We'll have a, a few acres that will come in with continuous enrollment and and uh, a conservation reserve enhancement program. But we have a large amount of acres that are expiring uh, in September of 2020. Uh, that, along with the acres that just expired as well, um, and the extra cap that we have, We'll have acres available for folks. So more information coming in the next few weeks. Um, We still have our rule 
uh, in clearance process, so we're not able to release all the pieces yet. Um, the, you mentioned uh, that the payment rates are capped um, according to, uh, due to the, the Farm Bill provisions um, that passed a year ago, uh, general enrollment uh, cannot exceed 85% of the county rental rate and continuous enrollment cannot receive uh, more than 90% of the average county rental rate. And so those rates are established internally. We're getting to the place where we'll be able to release those in, in a pretty short order as well so folks will know uh, what the limits to those payments are as well. So you mentioned the, the cap is going to rise. Do you expect... How close to the cap do you expect to to go? Uh, do you think you would accept all the way up to the, the limit of the cap or not? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, we will have annual, um, by, by, the, by the Farm Bill, we're required to have an annual uh, sign-up. Uh, so this, you know, we've had over the last few years both that very small sign-up um, before before I got here, as well as no general sign-up uh, last year or or the year before. Um, so it's been a while, uh, but now folks can expect an annual sign-up probably in December going for a few months um, so that they will be able to look ahead. So we will know we'll have a chance, even if we don't accept all the way up to or close to that cap. We need a little bit of room for CRP or for uh, continuous enrollment CRP uh, and conservation reserve enhancement program uh, sign up so we'd live leave certainly some room for that but it'll depend on how the offers come in uh, and we just don't know how to gauge right now the level of interest um, both with the economy the ag economy and and the payment uh, rate limits uh, just in in been so long since we had a general enrollment open uh, it's hard to know exactly how many offers will come in. We'll accept up to those offers that that make good sense as, as good value uh, for the program, and and uh, certainly the intention of Congress is to be able to have that many acres in the program. So if it makes sense to do that, we'll uh, certainly get closer to that than where we're at right now. So a lot of factors will be considered here. We're talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey looking ahead to the next sign-up, general sign-up for CRP coming in December. Now, another factor in this is uh, a change made in the Farm Bill that would uh, bring about more evenly distributed acreage among states. How do you see that factoring into this sign-up? So uh, there there is a, a formula to look at historic uh, acreages and, and make sure that, uh, uh, that while we have a national competition of sorts, we, we have kind of a state uh, emphasis on that competition, and so it's really kind of a state competition. So um, I think we'll need to, to um, you know, not just fill acres at, at any rate, but certainly need to be able to look at those acres so that Congress was interested in, in making sure that it was uh, being represented uh, across the various sectors. So uh, long ago, uh, CRP was established around erosion control, and that is a still a very important 
um, purpose of CRP. Water quality was added, wildlife um, habitat was added. Those are all important pieces. Those can take you different places. Um, CRP is really designed to try to address all of those, um, and Congress wanted to make sure that it could address each of those in each of the different areas and didn't end up moving acres uh, to different parts of the country than where it had been. So more of that will come out over time uh, in, in how we'll look at it. But for a producer, they need to look at uh, what they'd like to do, uh, what rate they think um, they, they would be happy with. Um, and then we certainly have many producers that have some expiring acres as well. Uh, so do they want to take those acres out, or how many of those acres would they like to take out, and how many of those acres do they really want to be able to make sure it stays in that conserving use that's in uh, the existing CRP that's on their, their farm already. Do you have concerns about uh, highly productive land coming into the program? You know, I think Congress, by putting that limit in, by having the limit be less than the county average rental rate was trying to address that and I think that'll be an important part of of keeping the incentive from from being for that highly valuable land both for continuous and general enrollment um, certainly general enrollment uh, often um, you don't get the highest value land because uh, the the rental rates uh, the competitiveness of those rental rates will attract you towards the, the land that has more conservation concerns um, and and yet doesn't need as high a rate to be competing with farm ground. Um, and But there was more concern about that in continuous enrollment and some of the way the formulas were um, paying more for high-value farmland. And so this it was Congress' intention. It makes good sense uh, to be able to uh, to farm the ground that's that's good farm ground uh, to be able to address the conservation needs uh, on the on the land that needs to have the conservation needs. You end up with a little bit of a challenge in some of the continuous uh, caps around some of those high productive maybe buffer strips uh, along a stream. That's maybe highly productive land. You don't need a lot of it. You need a little bit of it to be able to protect the stream. Uh, and this does cap the rental rates there as well as for other continuous enrollment land. And the Farm Bill set aside 2 million acres for grasslands uh, starting in fiscal 21, up from the current allocation of a million acres. Uh, are we going to see a sign-up for the grasslands portion next year? We will. So once this sign up is finished and once folks are notified um, of their success or not in in uh, in this in this sign up we will have a grassland sign up uh, that will be available for them to be able to uh, uh, know what their status is we may have some producers that think about offering land in a CRP um, general enrollment and then are not successful and say well I I'd like to do that in a grassland sign-up, and so they may do that then after they have been notified whether they were successful in the general enrollment CRP. All right, so the CRP rule is still under final review at the Office of Management and Budget. We'll wait for that uh, review to be completed, and when we get more details, we'll be back in touch with you, Bill. Thank you very much. 
sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. All right. Up next, Jeff Cooper. He's been testifying uh, earlier this week at a congressional hearing and then at a public hearing on the uh, controversial renewable fuel standard. We'll get his thoughts on the hearings and where we go from here next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credenced retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Our next guest testified earlier this week at a congressional hearing on the RFS, then at a public hearing yesterday in Michigan. He joins us now, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, you think you got your point across? Well, I sure hope so, Mike, and I, I think we did. I, I think the House... Uh, earlier this week, uh, you know, the, the takeaway message from that was that, you know, EPA's abuse of, of the small refinery exemption program is really starting to get more attention on Capitol Hill. And you've got lawmakers uh, who, who haven't really been paying much attention to the RFS and what's going on at EPA um, now taking notice of, of the small refinery exemption problems. Um, there's been some legislation introduced to address some of these issues. So, uh, the hearing on on Tuesday was was really about a a, uh, a proposed bill from uh, Congressman Peterson uh, from Minnesota, and he was uh, joined by uh, Congressman Johnson from uh, South Dakota. Um, you know that would help begin to lift the veil on the small refinery program and and would set a deadline for putting petitions in and and just make the whole process more transparent. Of discussing that bill. Um, the conversation was was much broader and, and really focused on on the damage that's been done to our industry because of these exemptions and, and a whole lot of other issues so it, it really did begin to shine some light uh, on what's going on at EPA and, and we think the more attention on EPA's shenanigans uh, the better okay you touched on something that's been debated and continues to be debated uh, I've I've heard the question asked and seen the question asked can the biofuels industry, and some have doubted whether you can, can show the damage being done, the harm that's being done in the industry by the SREs, the small refinery exemptions? Can you draw that line? Can you make that case? Well, absolutely we can, Mike. And, and you know, again, I think it's important for people to remember that the point of the RFS is to drive year-over-year -year growth of biofuels domestically and, and ethanol you know 15 billion gallons of conventional biofuels is what appears in the law we've not gotten to 15 billion gallons so that right there is is proof that we we have seen demand destruction the law says blend 15 billion gallons the closest we've ever gotten to that was in 2017 when we were close to 14.5 billion gallons of, of blending here in the u.s well last year 2018 we actually slid backward and we were under 14.4 billion gallons and we think we could walk backward again in 2019 when, when the year is, is all over and done. Uh, but, you know, you got the refiners coming in saying, 
uh, you know, there's no problem here, there's no issues, there's no demand destruction. Uh, current ethanol blending levels are about the same as where they've been the last few years. Well, even if that were true, and it isn't, it misses the point. The point is it's not supposed to be the same as it was the last few years. It's supposed to be increasing. It's supposed to be moving closer to 15 billion gallons. Proof of, of demand destruction. We've got 19 plants shut down for Pete's sake. What, what more proof do you need than that? Uh, and we've seen historically low ethanol prices earlier in this year and, and record high stocks. Now, some of that is changing because we've had a supply response to these demand conditions, and we've had plants come offline. We've had output rates come down to two-and-a-half or three-year lows. Um, and so, you know, stocks are beginning to tighten up, but it certainly came at a cost. Because your opponents have said the big problem is the industry just overproduced. How do you, how do you answer that? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, that's, that's such a convenient argument for them. And, and the, the, the analogy I try to use is, look, if I, if I own a pizza parlor and you call and order 15 pizzas and I go and make 15 pizzas and then you show up to pick them up and you say, oh, never mind, I only want 13 of those pizzas and you only pay me for 13, did I overproduce? No, I didn't. I, I produced based on the expectation that you were going to come pick up 15 pizzas. We have the exact same situation in, in the ethanol industry. Uh, based on the RFS, uh, based on the you know expectation that, that the RFS was going to be enforced, we had the industry ramp up production, invest in expanding capacity uh, to meet then that 15 billion gallon uh, requirement. And so when EPA comes in later and secretly undermines the RFS and knocks that 15 billion gallon requirement down to 13.8, um, is that overproduction? No, I don't think so. I think it's uh, it's a it's EPA walking back on a on a promise and on a commitment um, and undermining the law. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, you called this supplemental plan by EPA bait and switch. Explain that for us. Yep. Well, it is a bait and switch uh, because it doesn't uh, it isn't consistent with the agreement. Uh, or the commitment that was made by the president and, and in fact, was made by Administrator Wheeler on October 4th. Uh, you know, after hearing our concerns and, and understanding they had a problem that needed to be addressed, uh, we were told that EPA would be prospectively including a projection of exempted volumes in the 2020 RVO, and that would have the effect of, of basically uh, any small refinery exemptions that they would give retroactively. Um, they said they would base that, that pro, uh, projection on how much volume has actually been waived on average over the past three years. Uh, that made sense to us, and, and that's why you, you saw us support uh, EPA's announcement on October 4th. Well, when they came out 11 days later and, and actually put the proposed rule out, they're proposing not to use the actual exemptions from the last three years as the basis for this projection. Uh, instead, they're, they're uh, suggesting they would use the average of what DOE had recommended they should exempt. With that is they never paid any attention to the DOE recommendations. Uh, DOE suggested exempting about half of the volume that EPA actually exempted. And so it's, you know, it's all really technical and kind of arcane, but, but the bottom line is if EPA uses the DOE projections or recommendations and then goes ahead and continues to grant the, the, the volume of waivers that they have over the past three years, that 15 billion gallon number in 2020 
isn't 15 billion gallons again in it, and it erodes and slides backward to 14.5 or 14.4 billion gallons. That's that's exactly the mess that the president is trying to get us out of. Uh, and, you know, they've all committed that 15 million proposal does not ensure that. So where do we go from here? I mean, it's good to have a congressional hearing, but we've seen a reluctance by Congress to really take a strong hand in this and clear up some of these areas that needed to be addressed. Uh, a public hearing yesterday remains to be seen if EPA is going to be swayed or not. It doesn't seem like they've been inclined to be swayed based on their actions. So That's where right. do we go from here, and how hopeful are you that uh, something's going to change moving forward? Well, you're, you're right, Mike, and it's a little bit um, – uh, frustrating and, and disheartening when you go to these EPA hearings because you, you can't help but feel like, you know, you're, you're talking to yourself. Um, you got four people from EPA sitting there and they kind of nod their head uh, as people provide comments. Uh, you know, I don't think there was a single question asked yesterday, uh, but it, you know, it's it's not likely to be them that that make the call on this thing. It's 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 going to be a a political decision. Um, and, and we very likely think uh, the president himself is going to have to intervene again. Um, and, and, you know, so, so really the task is, again, communicating to the White House, communicating to the president that, hey, your EPA, again, is not doing what you told them to do. They're not doing uh, what, what you agreed to do, um, and it's not going to have the effect that you intended it to have. So, you know, somebody's going to have to get um, – you know, rattle some cages at EPA again uh, to get this thing back on track, and that very likely is going to have to be the president. One other thing before we let you go. Is it true that some states are still not allowing E15 sales year-round? That, that is true, Mike. We, we have a situation where two of our largest gasoline-consuming states, uh, California, which is number one, uh, and New York, which is certainly in the top ten, uh, still do not allow the the use of E15 uh, at all. Not just you know, kind of. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have just the year-round summertime issue. It's it's you can't sell E15. Period. Um, so we're working with both of those states. E, uh, New York actually has a proposal out where they would uh, allow the use of E15. We're very much supporting that proposal. Um, and California is taking a serious look and doing the research and the homework uh, to approve E15 in that state as well. Uh, we need to, to break down the barriers to, to E15 in those two states uh, because they're big ones. Those are huge gasoline markets. Can you force them to, or do they have to? I mean, w what's the legal status here? Well, California, of course, is a, a different animal when it comes to uh, you know fuel regulations and, and, and air, air quality regulations. They, they have a waiver from the Clean Air Act where they can kind of do uh, what, whatever they want to do. Um, so we don't see much of an angle to, to try and force, uh, you know, California's hand. Uh, but we, we do, you know, we've had a very, I think, good discussion and conversation ongoing with uh, the California regulators over the last year or so around E15 and the need to approve the fuel, and, and they are taking steps to do so. We just wish it would happen a little quicker. quicker. Uh, New York, I, again, is, you know, um, they're also on the right path with, with this latest proposal, and we think, you know, a, a year from now we'll be selling E15 in the state of New York. 
All right, Jeff. Uh, wow, what a busy week. We hope some positive uh, things come from uh, the events of this week. And as we move forward, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a good one. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. thought that was interesting when he said these EPA hearings feel like you're talking to yourself. It's up to the president to make these changes happen. We'll see. Well, we have some things happening on guest worker provisions, something much needed for agriculture. We'll talk about it with the National Milk Producers Federation. That's next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Immigration and labor issues are critical to agriculture in general, to the dairy industry in particular. We talk now with Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation. National Milk has announced its support for the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. This is a bipartisan immigration bill that would advance ag immigration reform. And uh, as I said, it's it has bipartisan support. Where does it go from here now that it's been introduced? Paul, thank you for joining us. How would this legislation be an improvement over what we have right now? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, to talk at a high level here, you know, we're excited to see a bipartisan bill moving forward in the House of Representatives on this topic. You know, the House has gone through a number of given the dire situation that dairy is in that we've talked about before on this program on this issue, we've generally been supportive of moving the process forward whenever there's an opportunity, and that's no different today. Uh, this legislation, as you said, is bipartisan, which is a significant step in the House, but it does work to address our two primary needs in this space, which is to say improving the H-2A program so that uh, so that dairy farmers and, and can use it is right now, as you know, it's a seasonal visa program, and so to open it up to year-round uh, is a big step in the right direction for us. And the bill also provides a legalization for the current ag workers that we have, the experienced workers. So these have been two priorities we've had for a while, and to see them both incorporated into this legislation kind of as an initial starting point to moving the debate forward on this issue in the House is a very positive step. Are there some other areas that you hope will also be addressed as this moves forward? Well, the devil's in the details, and I think the bill, as I said, the, the bill does touch the big, you know, broad strokes of the major priorities. You know, as we go forward in the House and the Senate and whatnot, we'll be looking to improve just various details and nuances and things like that. But I think that's pretty much par for the course with any big legislation, whether it's the Farm Bill or anything else that we deal with. So I think it's really about getting the process going, given how tough this issue is for Congress to generally move forward on. The fact that we've got leaders like Zoe Lofgren and Dan Newhouse and Colin Peterson and so many others that are working on this bill together, I think gives us a lot of optimism that we can get that process going. Where are they in the Senate? Any companion legislation there? 
there, there is not a companion bill in the Senate. We know there's a lot of bipartisan interest in moving a product in the Senate, but I think uh, if you look at the history on this issue, you know, six and a half years ago, the Senate moved a much broader immigration package through on a bipartisan basis, and since that time, the issue has more or less stalled as far as actually getting legislation passed. There have been a lot of things proposed in both houses, but it's been tough to get the votes to move anything. So I think the Senate is really, you know, going to have the House go first here and move a bill through on this issue, which we're excited about, obviously. And I think if we can get a strong bipartisan vote out of the House in the coming weeks here, uh, that strengthens the ability of senators to work on a bipartisan basis on whatever bill they would put forward. It seems like up to now it's been an all-or-nothing proposition on immigration. If there couldn't be a, an overall wide-sweeping bill, then nothing would get done. So is this uh, an effort now to, to kind of take a particular segment of this issue, in this case ag labor, and move forward with it without having to have a, uh, a comprehensive uh, package done? Well, there, there are certainly a lot of issues that people want to see addressed, but I think the idea here with this bill is that there's a bipartisan consensus that this issue needs to be solved, and I think people have maybe broad agreement as to the building blocks of doing that. As I said, I think the details can continue to evolve as the process goes, but I think one of the reasons we have this standalone ag bill that's bipartisan with such strong support in both parties is because there's a lot of agreement that this particular issue just has to get solved, even though there are other issues in the immigration space that people are passionate about that there's different degrees of controversy around them. I think there is sort of a view that, okay, let's see, can we grab this one and get this one off the table? Paul, explain again for those not familiar with how this issue impacts the dairy industry, what effect the ag labor uh, shortage and challenge, uh, tell us how that is impacting dairy producers across the country. Sure. Well, you know, dairy farmers milk their cows every day. It's not like some of the crops in the ag sector where you do it on a seasonal basis. The H-2A program, which is currently the visa program that exists for ag guest workers, is a seasonal-only program. It's a temporary and seasonal program. And so if you're a dairy employer, you really can't use that program. So from the standpoint of accessing a supply of guest workers, uh, you're not able to do that right now in the dairy industry. And so much of the dairy industry's uh, production is uh, rooted in operations where there is, you know, foreign labor and things like that, that having that kind of structure in place where dairy can use the program is really critical. And as it relates to current workforce, obviously there are a lot of experienced workers on dairy farms, as there are on many other ag operations outside of dairy, and there is a shared goal there of, you know, providing a clear legalization of current workforce. Um, and the key in this legislation is it's earned uh, legalization based on sort of a continued commitment to working in agriculture for a certain period of time, kind of based on how long you've already been doing uh, the work in ag. So it, it's not just carte blanche, but it's really about, okay, continuing to show your, your service to the ag community. That's a key issue for dairy as opposed, you know, to, say, uh, the fruit industry, the, the produce industry, where you might have workers come and go based on the season. Uh, not only are you trying to attract workers for the dairy industry, but you need to retain workers, right? Exactly, and that's why the current worker piece is so important. All right, so what's the next step? Well, I think we are hopeful here that the bill will move forward in the House Judiciary Committee in the coming weeks. The the House and Senate are on a recess week at next week. Uh, incidentally, while well, we have our National Milk Annual Meeting in New Orleans, and we'll be talking about this quite a bit, but uh, they return after that for a two-week work period 
pre-Thanksgiving. And so I think we are hopeful that the House Judiciary Committee will move the bill through at the committee level uh, as quickly as possible, and that sets it up for floor action, you know, before the end of the year, but possibly even right before Thanksgiving, because there may be some time there. So that's the sort of immediate uh, process in the House, and then once that's done, that enables interested senators to kind of pick up the ball on this issue and start talking about what kind of a bill they want to do and, and things like that that I said earlier. So uh, an important step has been taken, but there are several more steps that need to come yet, and we'll, we'll watch those Absolutely. closely. Paul, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, as always. Take care. Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation. That wraps it up for a busy show today. More coming tomorrow. Stay right here. Join us again tomorrow on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone.